Yo, what up, what up, what up? This is the Lazy Flossers Podcast, and today I got with us Shafan Darwala. 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 Like Darwin, but Walla at the end. That sounds swag, bro. How you doing, dude? Thanks for coming on the pod. Um, Shafan and I met. um, You read some of my answers on Quora. And you had a contention with some of the points, right? Yeah, I did. And then, and then randomly, we just started yakking, and we really hit it off. And so, I, like, just tell them a bit about yourself. Tell them the unique stuff, be brag and whatnot. <laughs> well, my name is Shafan. I go to NYU. I'm a triple major in finance, data science, and philosophy. And actually, I just met him on the street. I know what he looked like, and I see some of his answers on Quora, and I said, hey, that's William Petit, and I knew I had to go talk to him. And so that's how we sort of got together, and now we're here. Yeah, now we're here, you know, that's exactly how it works, man. If you see somebody who vaguely looks like anybody, just talk to them, man. And um, um, we actually ran into each other twice that day, right? Because the first time we ran into each other, you had class or something you had to go to. And then the second time, it was completely like another random event. We just walked into each other. We live in the same neighborhood. And um, then you told me about randomness and the scene celeb. Right, Fool by Randomness is the book you were referencing when yeah. we talked, and you you had brought up the really astute point of like how oh actually also can you are you comfortable talking about some of your summer successes on the pod? Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So tell tell them about what you had told me the second time we had talked. Yeah. So uh, I'm a sophomore at NYU right now. This past summer, what I did was that I started and ran my own used car dealership. And so I basically just got the idea from a Wall Street Journal article I read at the end of last school year, and I just acted on it. Yeah, he just acted. So now, number one, like now, some of you are like, "Oh, did you get money from your parents? You made it yourself, right?" To I made it myself. And and so he basically, I want to, I want you to think about guys. How many articles that you've read? How many of my answers that you've read? I've been like, "Oh, that's really great." And it wasn't even like that. The article said to do that, right? You actually tell them more about the article. Right. So the article basically stated that banks are making huge losses on their automotive loans now because default rates on car loans are going up. And those car loan or default rates are going up because cars are now becoming more expensive because they have more gadgetry that people don't really need, but they still have to pay for. And so my intuition was that if banks are making huge losses and they just want to liquidate all of their assets on these automotive loans, I can buy those cars at very cheap prices and then just sell them. And so, uh, for, for for you guys, like, the, the thing that I wanted to distill from that isn't like, okay, how we're going to make money from, like, selling used cars, but basically your process in, in basically seeing something, seeing, a, like, having a potential idea and then acting on it. You had a lot of friction points along the way, right? Like, there were, you, but you can just continue to act in a way that, so, like, tell, tell them about some of, like, the friction you had. Yeah, well, first of all, my parents like, you're crazy for wanting to do this because you're putting down all this money when you need it most because you're in college. And I said, mom and dad, like, I know exactly what I'm doing because I know I've been studying investing in business for however long I have, for six, seven years now, and I know what to do. And then I had to go and find a dealership license to attend the auctions I was going to buy the cars at. And I had to literally convince a dealership back home to allow me to use this dealer license. And that took me several weeks and going to 20, 25 dealerships to finally finding one that would allow me to use their license. Do you, do you guys see the massive amount of self-trust in that? Number one, he, so a lot of us, whenever we have an idea, all right, to do something and we maybe make a Google search on how to do it, if it doesn't even show up on the first page, we're like, ah, fuck it, 
Yeah, you know, I tried, right? But here you are, number one, you have the friction of your parents saying that this is a stupid idea, yet you are able to value your own self-judgment above that of your parents, which is actually very difficult, especially from an Indian background, right? Like, well, I mean, parents' word is kind of close to God's word, right? <laughs> you know, and then, so you, 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 you kind of, in a sense, say, I know better than my parents, right? I'm still going to do this. You go, and then you go, and then now you have to get this dealership license. And tell them how much the dealership license would have cost you out of pocket. If I had to go buy that dealership license, it would have cost me 25 thousand dollars in six months probably even more because it's just the government to acquire it so by that time maybe there would have been a lot of other people on the thing so so you were like i i can't afford to do this myself D- did you ever think for a second that you weren't going to do it whenever you found out that that was kind of that kind of number? I never thought. So, so how quickly did you like, I'm going to get a dealership to, to convince me to do it almost instantaneously? And can you tell me about dealing with the rejection? How did you go about it? Did you call in? So my process was to go into the, go into the dealership, speak with the owner, and then ask him in person, face to face, look him in the eye and say, I'm a student. I'm trying to make money to pay for school. I need this. And so many people told me no just because it was too difficult for them or they were afraid of the liability issue. And I kept on pursuing pursuing that and just pushing with it. Now, when you were negotiating with them, did you bring up the fact that I understood, like, so, like, me with, like, you know, sometimes the success with women, you know, you, you, you remember things, you remember common friction points in the past, and then you, like, okay, I know how to pacify this in the future. Let me, let me kind of state, like, hey, I understand you might think this is a liability issue, or I understand that this might sound like a lot of work, but trust me, I'm a really hard worker. Did you address, did you front those issues, or did you always wait for them to come up? I waited for them to come up because I don't want to put it initially in their mm. mind because if they're thinking it, then I'll address it. But if they're not thinking it, why would I even put it in their in their head in the first place? Definitely. You, you didn't want to add any extra friction or anything like that. Yeah. And so, like guys, I, I want to focus in on this. And so we were talking about the nature of success the second time. We're walking to your – you're working at also as a bartender now, right? I was. I had to stop for a little bit because okay. of midterms and everything. So, but so we're walking to, into the training on your job, and you were, you you said something that hit me. And guys, if you don't know, I do Yom Kippur, which is a Jewish holiday where you, you you're supposed to fast and think about if today was my last day alive, what what I've done differently about my life. And right before my fast, we had this conversation about randomness and the nature between black swan events and success. You know, and guys, sorry about all the noise in the background. I live in New York now, so expect this. This is this is just going to be the thing. I don't want to hear anything in the comments like, "Uh, so noisy." You know, whatever. I can't afford soundproof rooms. Um, but it's like, it's like, a lot of times we try to create linear basically a linear line between where we're at and where we want to be and a lot of times it doesn't work out because there's so many black swan events that need to happen but the thing is is that we act too logically and that leads us to not being able to take advantage of some of these massive gains that summer you didn't have anything planned you didn't have internships nothing right but you took something that was a casual reading a casual thing and you committed super hard to that random event that random reading of a wall street journal and you you were like this is it right and there's there no passion hypothesis this isn't your passion to be a used car sales dude no, it's not. No, you didn't wake up in the morning he's like yeah man you know in that moment i knew used cars is where it's at no you, you you were just like this is a this is an opportunity right but then you committed to it in a sense of someone who had passion Right. Right. And and can you can you get in touch with was it so how did you motivate yourself along this process or was it just like I just there's a problem in front of me I need to solve it. Yeah. So going into my summer, I had nothing planned. I knew if I didn't have anything planned, I was going to rot at home, basically do nothing, and then you know just maybe drink on the weekends with my friends. And I didn't want to do. I didn't want to fall into that cycle because of. You know, I just wanted to keep on becoming a better and better person. And then 
this random event happened. And so the way I think about it is that skill is not from what you've done or what you've accomplished. It's the opportunities you've, you've been given, whether through randomness or systemically, and how well you capitalize on those opportunities. Like in this instance, I mean, this article came up almost serendipitously, but it wasn't the fact that I read the article. It was a fact that I had the habit of reading the Wall Street Journal regularly. And then finally, when some random occurrence like this happened, to have the vision to act on it because I knew how how much money I could make from this or how big an opportunity it was. I like how you talk about systemic randomness because if you guys, um, some of you OG listeners might have come in from one of my old, um, oldest core posts where it's like every, email one person a day that you don't think you can get a meeting with. And that's actually radically changed my life. And the people I've gotten meetings with, some of the people you've listened to on the podcast, some of the people you're getting ready to listen to and basically how that structured my life, right? For example, I've recently been featured a lot on this podcast called Race Wars three times now. And it's a, it's actually might even become a TV show. Like, you know, but like, I, I don't know, like, if I wasn't just hanging out at Stand Up New York every week, every day, or every other day, that wouldn't have happened, right? And that's how opportunity works, is you basically put yourself in a place, a place where things can happen, and then you take advantage of it. That's where the skill comes in. And like, I like how you said kind of serendipitously, because I think serendipity occurs a lot more to skilled people. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, one of the examples I like to give people is like, you know, a lot of guys constantly complain like, oh, I can't meet girls anywhere, right? Like, they'll come and complain like, ah, I can't meet girls anywhere. Where there's no girls, and like we're sitting at a coffee shop, and there's like eight girls here, right? <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, there's tons of these opportunities, for, but like, no, 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 I can't talk to them. This is a coffee shop, and that got me thinking. You know what's the difference between a brain surgeon you pay a million dollars for and a brain surgeon you can pay ten million dollars for? Is um, the brain surgeon you pay ten million dollars for? can perceive something just like that much smaller, that much more minute, that is huge, right? And a lot of times the difference between where we wanna be and who we are, there's not that many decision or sticking points. There's there's only what we're willing to entertain ourselves with in our minds and the excuses that will pacify us. Right, so you weren't going to be pacified for by a twenty thousand dollar excuse. You weren't going to be pacified by twenty five dealerships telling you no. And like I'm going to tell you, I've gone up and spoken to random places. Um, it's intimidating sometimes, right? You're talking to a person in a suit. It, the whole situation is meant to feel like it's impossible, and they'll say it with a level of authority that can make you second guess yourself. How do how did you deal with that? Like, they're just saying no. Like, like, was there anywhere along the process? Was it the 25th one that said okay, or was it the 14th one that called back and was like, hey, we want to do this? How did that work out? Wait, say that again. So, like, was it the 25th dealership that said, like, hey, we want to do this? Or was it, like, the 14th one, but, like, they called you back? Or, like, what? how was it in the sequence? No, no, no. They all flat out said no. And then finally, I've met this one small dealer who said, yes, I'll let you use it. But with the contention, you have to pay me a certain fee. And, you know, I did bring up the fee structure with other dealerships, but they just didn't want to take on the liability at all, no matter how much convincing I did. But this person, he allowed, he gave me the opportunity just because, uh, you know, I told him, this is my story and this is exactly what I want to do and I know how I'm going to do this. You know, and this is the funny thing is a lot of people focus on big corporations for their breaks, but like it's actually the smaller places where you can get a glut of opportunity. I told you about this and some of you guys who've read older answers might know about this is when um, in the summer between me going to study at the University of London, um, I walked into a place called Tandoori Taco and it was like a new organization. Hey, what's up? We're just recording a podcast. You're... <laughs> 
it's no problem. You know, I'm just blaming you for stopping. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's all good. Do you want to say hello to the people? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but um, anyway, so um, I, the place was called Tandoori Taco, and I uh, was like, who does your marketing? And they were like, um, nobody, and then I was like, can I speak to your owner? I asked to speak to the owner, and then he's like, yeah, message me a couple ideas on what you might have. I messaged him 10 ideas, and he's like, let's work together. And the thing is, if it was a, if, McDonald's would have never let me be the director of marketing, because they have people for that. They have a, they have a structure, and they have a process, but there's a lot more variability whenever you're dealing with um, smaller organizations who don't have a system necessarily in place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the thing is, like, with like small mom and pop shops, right? Or like small tech startups, it's like they're more nimble, like they're more uh, perceptive to change just because they're just starting up and they have to necessarily be, they have to be fit. Whereas larger corporations, they already have so much concentration and they already have so much power, they don't really need to do much. Wait, and their, their thing is more about predictability than growth, right? We've just been talking about how randomness can increase the speed in which you can grow, but it can also increase the speed in which you fail, right? Like, you know, because like that, that's the thing. It's about variance and predictability. And so if a company has already experienced massive amount of success, they're going to be less likely to take risks. That's why a lot of innovation comes from smaller people. You know, a lot of people think biz- businesses create innovation. No, they buy smaller companies that have innovated and integrate them within to themselves. Hold on one second. How long would we go? Oh, that's only 13 minutes, dude. So, like, um, one of the things that I wanted to redo and um, kind of re, like, uh, yeah, don't, you don't need to be quiet or anything like that. Yeah. Um, one of the things that um, I wanted to do is create, what are you working on right now? Like, what, how are you trying to take these skills to the next level? Or are you just waiting for another opportunity to show up in the same way that it did? Well, right now, I'm focused on midterms, but then after that, um, recent, or recently what I've been working on is just improving my people skills and just, just the entire series of personal development. That's part of why I wanted to become a bartender, because you know bartenders have to necessarily be good at speaking with people and sales and all those softer skills you need to succeed in whatever else you want to do. And... Right now, I'm also becoming better at, uh, at in trading. Like that's a skill that I want to develop for my own career, and that's a, that's something I've been working on. But when it comes to big opportunities, yeah, you just have to wait for them to come because you know I believe that success is non-linear. Right? There's no certain path that you can take from X to Y to Z, which will lead to a certain result. You just have to wait for it, and then once it comes you better be sure to act on it as best as you possibly can. And I think there's no way that you can act on it as best. Because I think a lot of people make the mistake of trying to become snipers in life. So they're like, oh, this one opportunity and I'm not going to fail. I'm going to like wait for that perfect moment. I think the only way you can not fuck up that opportunity is to consistently take up opportunities that you fuck up on. So like to me, like the thing is, is like if you take, took a look at the entire the entire the the you from start to finish on this thing there were probably riddles of failures within the thing but each one kind of like took you deeper and uh, added a layer of depth to your level of commitment to the thing and you might not have been able to talk to the small dealership guy with as much conviction as you had if you hadn't talked to like 24 other places right before that right and and so a lot of times like you i tell people this um in almost everything in life don't it's not about the thing you're doing. It's about, it's about preparing yourself to do the thing that you're going to do in three months. And a lot of times, this is why I also don't like people making plans because it's change in skill set. I like how you focus on skills. If you get better, fewer rules apply. 
right? If you, you get better at stuff, you just can basically leapfrog processes, right? Like if, you're, if you are, let's say you live in Calcutta, right? And, but you, for some reason, become an AI expert, right? Like on another level, right? They will fly you to San Francisco and do whatever it takes. Right now, it might be difficult to get your skills to that point, especially about your surroundings. But if you focus on skills, things can happen for you in a way you wouldn't even imagine. Right. And the one quote I think that perfectly exemplifies this sort of mindset is that the future belongs to those who prepare for it today. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I'm trying to do and what a lot of people I know are trying to do. They're preparing themselves by becoming better people, developing their skills, whether it's technical skills like AI, computer programming, math, whatever, or softer skills like what I'm trying to do, like improve like... Flaccid skills. <laughs> like social skills, uh, reading social scenes and you know, working the room. Because eventually when that opportunity comes... You have to be prepared for. And, you know, economically, um, there's a good example I've been given by my dad when it comes to money is that opportunity to invest or opportunity to make money comes to you especially when you don't have money. Mm. And it really kicks you in the foot or it really kicks you in the back because you know this is going to make make you a lot of money, but you just weren't prepared for it. Mm. So similarly, when it comes to human interactions, you can become a better person. And when the opportunity finally comes, using the skills that you've been actively developing, you can pounce on that opportunity and make the most of it. Exactly. Now, social intelligence is a massive, massive, massive plus, right? Like, um, they're, they're, you know, people like EQ. So I don't like using EQ because I think you can be emotionally intelligent, but socially stupid. Right, I think there's a difference between knowing how someone feels and being able to manipulate them to do whatever the fuck you want. No, okay. <laughs> um, but but um, I was at a, a RSD event yesterday, um, and Julian was talking about the relationship between. Check out his channel, Julian himself. Uh, he was on CNN as one of the most hated men in the world, and he completely changed his life. But anyway, um, he talked about social intelligence. Is basically there's a cocoon of appropriateness, right? Like like imagine a sphere, and that's a you know, imagine a sphere, and that's the context, right? And now your skill is basically how big of a context you can make so how big you can make your sphere but still make it fit with an appropriateness right so like somebody have you ever seen russell brand interview no it's absolutely insane what he can get away with because he's a master at creating context and what a lot of people don't understand is they think that the rules are rigid right they think that there's only a certain way that you can do things and the parameters are like this and this but the thing is actually the problem is is that their skills are so low that's all they can get away with doing but if you constantly are dancing on the line, going over the line, all these other things, you can basically increase your sphere of what, that, what is possible in the moment, what you can get somebody to do, how you can get somebody to change their opinion. You said you, took a, you learned a lot about negotiations and selling the cars, right? Mm-hmm. Can you talk to us about how your first negotiation and how it grew over time? Yeah, so my first negotiation... It was sort of like that, uh, the crude way to explain it is like, it's sort of like that virgin guy who's, ri- who's willing to fuck anybody, mm-hmm. right? Whatever deal they gave me, I was going to take it just because I wanted to make this sale. And eventually I did not make as much money as I wanted to on the first deal. But then afterwards, like, I became more and more confident. I knew what I was doing. I knew my worth. I knew the worth of the product I was selling. And I got better at negotiating, right? Like I commanded the price. I said, no, I'm not going below this price and that's it. And so 
an easier way to think about it and negotiate is like now once this virgin guy has had sex for the first time now he's like okay you know what like now I can have my pick because I don't need to like constrain myself to whoever wants me right and so in that sense you become better and better at uh at having like a self-confidence and making sure that others know you have this self-confidence and treat you as such because eventually what happened was that my negotiation skills got better and I was having higher net margins on each car because of it. Definitely. So you're able to understand, number one, your worth. The You get rid of the fear of saying no because you have confidence that you will be able to sell it in the future and you have more confidence in your product. And that's what a lot of people have an issue with. And I would say a lot of artists have an issue with. Like, so um, I've been, like, you know, offered gigs and stuff like that. And, you know, I've, I've told them my price and they've never got back to me. But the thing is, you, you need to, in order to ascend to certain levels, be able to say, like, look, this is where I'm at. This is my requisite thing. If you don't, if you don't feel like that's a valuable thing, think that's okay that doesn't affect my value you not willing to pay that is doesn't affect the value that i have or the value that my product has and actually in a lot of cases i would say um so i my advice i've talked to you about this last time was if i had um art friends i would tell them to have an art exhibit where they charge like a billion dollars a painting like and then have like a couple fifty thousand dollar ones in there because number one at least that's the price point right because it's way harder to go this is the the thing a lot of people operate under this false heuristic where they think, oh, I will start at a low price and then work my way up over time. That's not how you build a good brand. A brand, if you look at anything that is very expensive, it's always been expensive. They've never, Gucci wasn't like $5, all right, bro? Like that's why you want to start out high. Do you know who LeVar Ball is? Yeah, of course. I love LeVar Ball with like all my heart. And a lot of people hate him because LeVar Ball is the father of Lonzo Ball, who's a Laker. And he has two other sons who more than likely will make it to the NBA. And he has made a mass amount of money. But a lot of people have been very upset with him because he's made it, the shoes so expensive, right? He's made his own shoe company rather than going with Nike. And he's made the shoes $500. And people are like, that's too expensive, what, blah, blah. But what they don't understand is he's starting a price point for his brand. And of course, they're not going to be worth that much out the gate. But number one, he got tons of free, tons of free press on that. Tons of free press on that. Number two, it makes it so that like, oh, the t-shirt's being 70 bucks? Yeah, I'll buy a t-shirt. I won't buy the shoes for 500 but, you know, it's, and over time, he can increase the quality to where it matches the price point. And that's what you have to really get in touch with is you have to just be able to stone face be like, nah, man, this is how much this is worth. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a, if you guys know what Dilbert is, it's like those business comics, yeah. right? Um, there's this one thing that they did where uh, Dilbert is saying, there's two exactly, there's two identical startups, right? And one of them is valuing itself at, at 100 million, and then one of them is valuing it at 1 million. His uh, friend said, you know, I know they're the same, but this 100 million one sounds better. I don't know why. And Dobert says, if I tell you, it'll probably be a little bit insulting to you. That's exactly the sort of process you need to follow. Mm-hmm. Value yourself, because then other people will value in the same way. Exactly, man. It's like the same thing with dating, dude. I, I tell a lot of guys like, oh, like you know, I'll go for like mediocre things <coughs> now, and then like when I get, I'm like, no, always go for the girls you want. Don't like like life is too short to go for people you don't want to be with to train up to that level. That's not how life works. You're not like, oh yeah, you know, like just always, always go for what you want. And the thing is, that's it's really weird. And like the scariest thing to go for is what you want. It's it's, it's weird. It's it's like it's like we will go for what we don't want all the time. I'll go Starbucks coffee. I hate Starbucks. Walk in there all the time. Talk to talk to a girl that I think might be my soulmate, and then I feel all this friction, right? Because you think, what if it doesn't work out? This is a highly valuable thing. What if it doesn't accept me? But you have to understand, value doesn't actually exist. We're all worthless. Let that sink in. We're all worthless. Not we are all special. No, you're all worthless. 
It's what you value yourself in the game that determines it. And like a lot of times people think, oh, money, you know, will be able to make me have more confidence. What you have to understand is money has only existed for maybe 8,000, 10,000 years. So it's actually for as long as there has been confidence in primates or, or homo erectus, money hasn't been a part of that exchange. You know what has been? Behavior. Behavior is one of the strongest indications of confidence, right? Um, to not only other people, but to yourself. The more you act like somebody with confidence, generally the more you have confidence. Did you notice the more you negotiate in your hardball, the more self-respect you have for yourself? Yeah. Even, even when you said no. Like, I've walked out from dates early, and, like, I felt way better about myself than if I just stayed on that date. Because I'm like, oh, I'm the type of dude who walk out of a date early. And there's a respect in that because part of what makes something valuable is that it says no. Harvard's entire business model is that it says no to 95% of the people who want to pay them 250,000 fucking dollars. Think about that. That is why it's valuable. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. covered it right on the head. Yeah. I mean, uh, like another way to think about it is like Drake has this one famous line, know yourself, know your worth. I mean, you know. No, I love that song. Yeah. I, I listen to Drake in the gym. You know why? You know, we got five minutes on this, but let's talk about Drake. I, what I love about Drake is that Drake was able. Drake is one of the best people at just being who he wants to be, right? Like, um, Drake was Degrassi guy. Then he was like, oh, you know, Canadian dude who's kind of cool. To like, oh my God, he's a superstar. To now, almost quasi R and B singer. Like, you know, he's like abridging kind of the gap between like rap and R and B. R and B's dying. And the thing is, is a lot of people are like, we miss old Drake. We miss, and it's like you don't have any allegiance to your fans. If if anybody of you guys in the future have fans, don't you don't have allegiance to them at all. Fuck them, all right? Because I'm I'm dead serious. I, I, I'm like I'm I'm saying that in a very honest and creative way. Because the second you start listening to the people who consumes you advice about what you create, that's when you become a sellout. All right. It doesn't matter if you have to lose fans or whatever trying to create or trying to keep something new or trying to explore yourself. Life at life and art is about experimentation and context. The creation of art is always for yourself first. And if people enjoy it, that's dope. That's dope. But don't change it for that. Don't don't be in reaction for them. Don't try, because you'll always be behind. We were talking about I was talking about, hey, what do you think about investing in cryptocurrency? And you're like, if everybody's talking about it, go the other way. Right, and that really hit me. Right, but that's the same thing about like if you are an artist and you're trying to follow a trend, you're always going to be a second behind because there's a person coming from the viscera. They say that the reason why Michael Jordan was able to be better than all his competition was because he wasn't even playing. He wasn't competing against other people. He was competing against who he could have been. That and that's so. It's it's someone who doesn't even exist yet, while other people are always living in reaction to him. Right, so they're second behind. Yeah, you know. Exactly. Is there anything you want to plug? This is the end of the podcast. This has been a dope ass podcast, by the way, guys. Like and like and stuff. You know, I need those likes. But um, yeah. Is there anything you want to plug? Dude, Do you have an Instagram? Uh, my Instagram is Shafan underscore Darawala. S H I F A N. I'll link it down below. And okay. and do you have a Twitter? Uh, no, I don't. Okay, good. Twitter is dying. But I still need you guys to follow me on there because I'm a motherfucking comic. So follow me at the Batite on Twitter. There's no hyphens or anything in that. Um, follow me at Bill Batite on Instagram, the Lazy Philosopher's YouTube channel. You know how it be. Share this, whatever. Um, comment below um, anybody who lives in New York that you want me to do a podcast with because you know I'm quasi-famous and so I can get anybody on here. You know, Mike Tyson, Kelly Ripa. No, I'm just playing. Um, <laughs> but any, yeah, um, comment below. Tell me what you guys think. I'm going to be producing more and more content because now I'm back on this roll. Um, yeah, guys, Godspeed and good night.